I spent way too much time thinking about how to avoid quicksand <laughs> when I was a kid. As Christians, we we understand that God is our single source of truth. He's the ultimate source of truth, not just for our group, but for the whole world. Right. Um, Josh, this might be one that gets us in trouble here, but I'm going to say it anyway. Welcome to Living Beyond Your Memes, where we try to help Christians get beyond talking points and pat answers and engage the world around us the way Jesus did. I'm your host, Brian LaCroix, and I'm joined by my good friend, Josh Lederell. In today's episode, we're talking about how Scripture needs to be our filter and our guide when it comes to believing and engaging with the people around us, rather than just listening to the talking points that are handed down to us by our favorite politician or our favorite preacher or whatever. Let Scripture be the filter and the guide. Let's talk. Hey, Brian. Hey, Josh. How you doing today? I'm doing well. How are Good. you? Good. Welcome, everybody, to Living Beyond Your Memes. And uh, this is episode three. And before we get into the topic, what are you reading nowadays, Josh? Um... Good question. I wasn't prepared no, for that. No, you weren't prepared for because I, I just thought of it just now. So... Uh, good question. No, I'm reading a book called Soundtracks. I don't know if I mentioned it before. John mm. A. Cuff. Mm. It's just about uh, I know who he is. setting, I yeah. you know, being intentional about your thoughts, uh, which is always important. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm usually reading two or three books at a time. The, the fiction read that I'm doing right now is oh, cool. um, Don Quixote. No kidding. Yes. That's one of the ones I'm hoping to get to this year as well. It is considered by most people to be the first uh, true fiction novel. Mm -hmm. It really kind of started the genre before that. There there were lots of things that purported to be nonfiction that were actually fiction and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. But uh, in terms of the style and the structure and the sort of the, the narrative that is fictional, but also believable, um, but clearly not supposed to be taken as, you know, truth or, you know, a true historical narrative. Um, he kind of defined that genre, which I thought was kind of cool. So you'll cool. see lots of literary devices in that book that are, you know, have been copied for the last 800 years or whatever. Nice. Since, since I do that need to check that really out. It's something I want to yeah. read. It's on and my it's list. Funny of things. And it's readable. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good. Cool. Well, I am. Um, I'm reading a biography of Ronald Reagan right now, just called Reagan: The Life, and it's by H.W. Brands. Um, I've read. He wrote a really great biography of Ben Franklin, and I really just loved. And he was uh, featured quite often on the on the Ken Burns specials on the Civil War and baseball. And so I kind of knew who he was, and I'm really enjoying this biography here. It's it's not a syncophant biography, you know. It's when there was some stuff that he that didn't reflect well on Reagan. He he brings it up, not in a mean way, but, you know, um, he's not afraid to be honest. A more well-rounded portrait so. of the man rather yeah. than just a rah-rah, yeah. Yeah. red meat, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can tell he's a fan, mm-hmm. but he's also not, you know, just blinded to, you know, some of the negative stuff that went on too. So that that's really good. I'm reading it on my Kindle, I finally broke down and got one of these things. Yeah, how was that um, thing? I know, you know, I'm loving it. Um, I got one of the kinds that has the ads on the front because I'm 
too cheap to get the ones without ads and it's like two seconds worth of work to get it off there so anyway i'm i'm having a blast i also downloaded the first batman comic on here um so i've got some and i see that the first spider-man is available too so um i also got worst case scenario have you ever seen that book no oh wow that's Wait, that's been around I yeah might, maybe yeah I it's know. a book about how to escape uh you know if like like if you fall into quicksand in which mm-hmm. when i was a kid man every tv show you know, had somebody falling into quicksand and dying. And, you know, I would like literally walk around places trying to make sure that I didn't step in quicksand because I knew I'd die. I spent way too much time thinking about how to avoid quicksand yeah. when I was a kid, <laughs> just in case, because it, it really did seem like quicksand was the sort of thing that oh, yeah. was a, a real danger. If you were walking around, there was a pretty good chance you were eventually going to run into quicksand and yeah. you better know what to do when you right. when you stepped in it yeah. and, and back in those days they didn't tell you how to get out of it they just oh you're in quicksand and then they just watch you slowly sink in and die you mm-hmm. know but there are ways to get out of quicksand so anyway and that's in the book oh i watched uh, the princess bride i know that's you true grab a vine and you just dive right in and, but that was lightning sand it was lightning sand yeah, it wasn't yeah. quicksand so yeah Did, big difference true Yes. Yeah. Thank you for making that distinction. Any problem. Anytime. Anytime I can help. But I've uh, got a history guy. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) With me. But uh, so anyway. So what are we talking about today? So today I want to talk about how scripture has to be our filter and our guide when we're discussing things in life and particularly when we're interacting with people. So I want us to look at something that I think is of utmost importance for evangelicals to grasp and and make a foundational principle in every area of our lives. And especially, as I mentioned before, when it comes to interacting and things about politics, social issues, and even interacting about theology. And uh, I I don't proclaim to be a theologian. Um, Some would say that every Christian is a theologian to some degree. I don't know, but I'm certainly not, um, you know, John Wesley, John Calvin, you know, Spurgeon or any of those guys by any means, but there are ways that we can use the scripture, even with the knowledge that we do have to help us be people who are truthful. And we talked last time about being people that others will listen to. And one of the things we have to do there is to be truthful people. And, uh, and so I think that scripture has to be our filter and our guide for that. And so we're going to look specifically at three ways that can happen. And there are more ways. Maybe we'll touch on some of those. Uh, and if you think of some, you know, feel free to get in that. But, but first, let's just look at why that's so important. And uh, to me, it's important just because I see way too many Christians decide that something is true just because they see it on Facebook or Twitter because their favorite person posted it uh, or because a friend of theirs did. And especially if it's about their least favorite politician or political figure, whatever it happens to be. And oftentimes what they're seeing and forwarding is filled with half truths and errors and even just blatant lies at times. And when Christians pass this stuff on, we're literally aiding the enemy, Satan, the father of lies, instead of Jesus, who said that he's the truth. And now I don't know about you, Josh, but but I cringe when I see things posted on Facebook and Twitter that I know for a fact aren't true and that it would have taken them 30 seconds to two, two minutes of actual research to see that for themselves. I see accusations and insinuations from Christians that are untrue or they're based on errant information, uh, but they're passed on as true because they just didn't bother checking them out. And, and sometimes, in fact, maybe even most of the time, they're well-meaning people 
who want to get the word out, uh, who honestly believe what they're passing on, but they just don't check it out. But even in that case, Christians need to be much more diligent uh, in checking things out before passing them forward. Why is that so important? Well, because Scripture commands it. We are commanded by Scripture to be discerning and to speak truth and to speak it in love. And secondly, because as I mentioned, Jesus is truth. And when we spread misinformation, whether mistakenly or on purpose, because you think it serves the greater good, you're working against the character of the one you claim to be following and loving. So I I hope that people listening can see the contradiction in that. You claim to know and love Jesus, who is the truth, and yet you're spreading falsehoods. And, you know, and I know there's sometimes I, I had, I was talking to one guy one time and I pointed this out to him that he, what he had posted was blatantly wrong. And this guy would, would call himself a follower of Jesus. And I said, you cannot be saying this. This is wrong. And he goes, well, it should be true. And that's good enough for me. And I thought, what? Should be true doesn't count. Just because you want it to be true doesn't make it true. And we got to we gotta draw the line there. So uh, can, can you see, folks, how that kind of thing makes you appear unchristlike and it takes away any credibility you have when it comes to the things of God. You try having a conversation with somebody about Jesus and you've, you have no credibility when you've done these things. Uh, and can you see how people would be uninterested about anything you have to say when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus with people because they see what you do and post on, on Facebook and Twitter and whatever social media like. So, so let's look at how the scripture can be our filter and our guide. And I've got three things I want to talk about and, or I should say discuss. And, uh, Josh will just kind of go back and forth and tell me what you think. And, uh, as always, uh, feel free to disagree kindly like you do when you do disagree. You do it well, I might add. So, and, uh, but, or push back when if we feel the need because well, we're friends. I, I feel like it's more difficult than ever to know what's actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of people with a lot of money who are, either intentionally sharing false or partial information. Mm -hmm. Um, You have um, foreign actors who are trying to sow discord into their enemies. You Mm -hmm. have, you know, uh, companies who are just making money by, I think you mentioned last time, like intentionally creating fake news for one side or the other, just because, they get clicks or they're doing it for fun or whatever. So it's, you're very right. It's, I mean, from a media standpoint, um, we don't have, there's a phrase floating around today called, you know, it's used a lot in business circles called single source of truth. And in the business circles, it's, it's referring to, you know, what your, you know, making sure your company all has the same facts. They're on the same page. They're listening to the same message. They're on message, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But that really only extends as far as that, that business or that organization. So in, as Christians, we, we understand that God is our single source of truth. He's the mm-hmm. ultimate source of truth, not just for our group, but for the whole world. Right. But how do we use that understanding and that's what I'm honestly wondering. Right. How do we use that understanding to sort through all mm-hmm. of the different things that are going to come at us on a regular basis? Just right. as average ordinary people who happen to be Christians and maybe 
um, maybe I want to be more truthful, but I don't mm -hmm. even know how the Bible can help me right. sort through some of these things that I'm mm -hmm. sort of reading or seeing or hearing from other people on a regular basis. Excellent. So if you can help yeah. us out with that, that would be great. I honestly don't know that we're going to answer that question real well, <clears throat> because, but I think it's what we don't ask nearly enough. Mm -hmm. You know, you're absolutely right. There's so many different sources of information and some of it is disinformation. I mean, you, you only have to go back as far as Hitler and, and the Soviet Union to know that disinformation is a real thing. And it's it works. Still, it does. And it's still a real thing. Mm -hmm. Just ask anybody who's reading a Soviet newspaper or excuse me, a Russian newspaper right now, how they think the war is going Yep, in Ukraine or whatever. But um, we just need to be diligent about looking, you know, hard and making sure things are correct before we pass them on. And then we just need to be, I think, in my opinion, disciplined enough to say, if I can't really back that up, I'm just going to let it go. You know, trying to find a dad joke instead of, you know, um, putting this whatever it is mm -hmm. they're going to put on before they couldn't back up. So here are some ways that I think, first of all, scripture is the filter for truth. And what do I mean by that? A couple of things. First of all, if someone makes a claim regarding the things of God, uh, the scriptures, Christianity or whatever, we can look to the scriptures to find a solid biblical answer. So if somebody says, well, Jesus says this and we go, really? Show me that. When did he say that? Or Christians believe this, and especially in a derogative manner. Mm -hmm. um, well, really? Show me where we're supposed to believe that. Well, God wouldn't do this, or God wouldn't say that. Really? And what do you base that on? You know? Uh, so, now I expect people who don't follow Jesus to make statements about God and Jesus and the scriptures that are in error. Uh, because they don't have the exposure that that uh, most believers do, and they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them to help them learn and dis, uh, discern truth through the lens of Scripture. But for Christians, they have no excuse. <laughs> and we can disagree on things on theology and things like that. That's not what I'm saying. But when a Christian makes a false statement about Jesus, the Scriptures, God, whatever, that can be shown clearly from the Bible, that's that's a bad thing. And we need to be much more careful, especially if we quote scripture, that we're using it correctly. Uh, because it's so easy to take scripture out of context. I mean, people do it all the time. And Christians do it all the time. It's like an Olympic sport at this point. <laughs> oh, it sure is. It, it, it certainly is. You know, I, somebody, I, people used to say that the most quoted scripture was uh, John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now the most quoted scripture is John uh, Matthew 7.1, uh, judge not lest you be judged. And what they don't understand is that the rest of that chapter talks about us, how we should judge people. So uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a messy thing. Um, so the first one is just that if somebody makes a, a claim about God in scripture that we can see from the scriptures or look at and learn, we need to use that. The second thing though, that I mean by using scripture as a filter is that just like a water filter cleans out the impurities of the water, scripture can help us reject error and even call it out when it's appropriate. So here's a here's a silly example, a couple of them, and then I'll go on to a more serious one. We've probably all seen the Facebook meme uh, where it shows a picture of Jesus and it says, my people will pass this on, but uh, those who don't love me will keep scrolling. And, and that's just false. You know, um, or the posts that say, if you're not ashamed of Jesus, you'll paste this on your wall or you'll put this on your wall. 
It's like, um, okay. So because I don't obey guilt-laden Facebook posts, uh, I'm someone who doesn't love or follow Jesus, apparently. But I don't think you'll find any scripture rightly handled that supports either of those things. So a couple of silly examples there, but here's a more serious example. And um, Josh, this might be uh, one that gets us in trouble here, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a belief that among some, that if you're a Christian, you will vote Republican. In fact, you have to vote Republican because the Democrat Party supports abortion on demand. Okay. Okay. So first of all, nothing in scripture supports that notion. There's nothing in scripture that says you have to vote uh, by a certain party line. Nothing. Well, party lines didn't exist when the right. scripture was written. So Right. So, but even if you were to, to compile all of scripture, it would be hard, I think, for some to say, okay, this is a Republican. Uh, Jesus was a Republican. You know, and scripture is a Republican-leaning thing. Uh, others would say, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's a very Democrat party-leaning thing. And it depends on where you're coming from, I think. Yeah, I was just listening to someone who grew up in the black church and they mm -hmm. were talking about how uh, politics was very much a part of oh, yeah. that, of, of the culture of, of the black church, especially in the South. Mm -hmm. And to them, um, he didn't know anybody who was a Republican. Everybody mm -hmm. around him was Christian and Democrat. And right. that was just because the, you know, care for the poor and mm -hmm. the, you know, racial justice. And for right. them, those were essential Christian values and everybody that was around him believed that. And so his discovery that some people believe that you had to be a Republican if you're, if you were a Christian was sort of shocking. It's like, right. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. They do, right. you know, <laughs> and around, around people who believe the opposite essentially. Right. And, and me too. In yeah. fact, if you were to say this kind of thing to some people around in the part where we live up here in the Northeast, South, Northeast South Dakota, it would be that the statement that I just gave is that you can't be a Democrat and be a Christian. I mean, that's the way some people feel. But the thing is, and just, just so people know that, that there is a very vocal group within the Democrat Party that is solidly pro-life. And, and some of these are born-again evangelical believers who will agree with, with Democrat positions on, other, on most things, but disagree vehemently about abortion on demand. I voted for, oh, gasp, I did. I just admitted that I voted for a Democrat here. Did you? I did. I voted for a pro-life Democrat in, in the last House election. Um, for, I voted for uh, Tim Bjorkman. And the main reason I voted for him was because I thought that the other candidate was just going to be more of the same old, same old uh, Republican good old boy. Well, I'm very happy to say that I've been uh, shown wrong on that. So, um, but my point is that I thought, wow, if we can get another pro-life Democrat into the, into the federal government, wow, you know, and there are many, but my point in all of that is that when we, when we make blanket statements about how people should vote, for instance, and we try to bolster that with scripture, I think we run into danger there because you can find believers on both sides of that spectrum who can bring you plenty of scripture to bolster their opinions on that. So my point there is that we need to use scripture to help us make sure that we don't make blanket statements about people. And especially when it comes to politics, we just can't do it. Yeah, it's a red letter Bible. That must mean Jesus was a Republican, right? Because he spoke in red letters. So, <laughs> so that does work for me anyway. 
Did that make sense to you, Josh, as I was going through this thing? If, if it, not, do I need to clarify anything? It, it does. Um, but I, th- I think the illustrations that we both brought to the conversation um, kind of make it clear that we already have some filters, mm-hmm. even when we come to scripture and when we read the Bible mm-hmm. and um, that yeah. are cultural, that are personal, yes. that are based on, you know, the family we grew up in, what we mm-hmm. heard when we grew up, right. what we heard at church, what we heard not being in church, mm-hmm. you know, whatever our backgrounds in creates this sort of unconscious mm-hmm. filter sure. that, or, or just culture, because you've heard, for instance, a scripture misquoted mm-hmm. X hundred number of times. And you've been told it always means a certain thing. So right. when you read that scripture, you automatically interpret it that way mm-hmm. when it, you know, whether that's right or not, because, mm-hmm. you know, to you, it's very obvious. And to someone else who hasn't had your experience, that might not be obvious. Mm-hmm. So good point. you need to, you know, as Mr. Christian, need to mm-hmm. use the Bible to filter truth, be our filter for truth. But what about the filters that we already have when we come to the Bible? Right. How do we examine those? Right. There are lots of ways to do that. And uh, one is just understanding the fact that we do have filters. I think uh, I've I've seen a lot of people go, well, you read this passage, it blatantly means this. Mm -hmm. It obviously means this. Well, it didn't necessarily mean that to the people who read it the first time, you know, and and not that we're right and they're wrong or that they were wrong and are right and we're wrong. I don't know, but there's a there's a book I read a few years ago called Misreading the Scriptures Through Western Eyes. And it just talks about that kind of stuff. But I think you made a great point, Josh, that um, not only should we use scriptures to help us filter and, and find truth and, and to, but recognizing that other people have filters, recognize that we have filters. I think if we would go so far as to say, look, I understand how you come to that. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't agree with it, um, the fact is um, you have a different perspective than I do based on, you know, your upbringing, based on the teaching you've had, based on your experiences. Um, and I think it, even just to say I recognize that in you and me will go a long way, I think, to just helping people have more civil conversations, you know, even if they never agree. Yeah, well, the... um there is such a thing as unconscious bias and confirmation bias, all those sorts of things. And, you know, that humans in general are susceptible to, and, you know, Christians are humans and Christians are also susceptible to those same things. Now, hopefully we have some resources to, to be self-reflective enough to recognize those, but Uh that's not necessarily true. Uh Um, You know, I, I would say that, Humility is probably a great place to start. Absolutely. And Christians should be more humble, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) And maybe less likely to immediately come to a conclusion that, you know, they come too quickly or or whatever, or at least be Mm -hmm. open to alternative points of view. Mm -hmm. But... Mm -hmm. Because those are, you know, those require a certain amount of humility to do. Right. Um, but that's not always the case. You know, mm-hmm. I, I find that a lot of Christians, and I'm including myself in this, really want to have the right answer for everything. Right. You know, right. they if they, they don't want to not know something, they don't want to go, huh, I'm not sure about that. Right. Um, now, 
again, that's a, that's a human tendency in general, but I don't know that Christians are any better at that than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And in some cases it seems like they're worse. Right. Right. (laughs) Because too often we land, we, we rely on human reasoning without asking the Holy spirit to inform us. So Josh, I, I, one of the things I appreciate about you the most is that uh, you're able to bring out some things that maybe I was trying and intended to, but couldn't articulate. And you just did it again with this whole thing about remembering that we all have filters anyway, and that uh, we need to be mindful of our own filters as well as the filters of other people as we try to gain an understanding with people. So thank you for that. All right. So the first thing is we need scriptures to filter for truth. The second thing that I really want to cover on this is that scripture is the guide for how we respond to and treat others. This is so huge because even if we don't understand how they come to something, even if we never agree with them, there are ways that we are to respond and treat people in spite of all of that. One of them, and Paul, and if you guys want to look this up, if you're in this, this is second Timothy two. If you want to look all this stuff up, these three things, especially the first two, are right from scripture. First one is to gently teach those who oppose you. You're not supposed to yell. You're not supposed to just respond with with your favorite meme. Um, you don't respond by demeaning either the person sharing with it or the person holding that that holding that position that they're quoting. You respond by gently teaching those who oppose you. You say, "Hey, here's why I disagree with that." Here's why I think you're wrong, you know, but I can tell you why. Here's how I come to this conclusion. And here's why I think you're wrong. There's a way to do that. I have found in my own life that when somebody gently instructs me as to why they feel I'm wrong, I am much more willing to listen. Um, And at times I have been wrong, but I've also found that. Yes, yes. Uh, But at times when I have taken the effort to say, hey, look, here's where I think you got it wrong. You know, and, and, you know, Lord knows I'm not perfect on all this, but here's where I think and here's where I come from on it. Do you at least see where I'm coming from? And a lot of times like, yes, I can see where you're coming from. And sometimes I'll say, bye, I hadn't thought about that before. I need to rethink that. But boy, that's a whole lot more of a civil conversation than just, you know, you're wrong. How dare you think that, you know? Um, I've had people question my salvation, uh, uh, because I disagreed with their right, you know, far right position on something. And I'm like, okay, you can't show me from scripture that my salvation depends on that political position, but you go ahead, (laughs) think that if you want, but that's wrong. Um, so gently oppose those, or excuse me, gently oppose that too, (laughs) uh, love your enemies. Um, but speak the truth in love. So gently teach those who oppose you and then speak the truth in love. Yes, we need to speak truth. And um, and when somebody is wrong, we should speak to that. But we need to do it in a way that says, I love you. And that's why I'm talking to you about this. And I'm going to talk to you in a way that opens some doors instead of slamming doors. And uh, I, I alluded to this a minute ago, but I'm much more willing to listen to somebody who talks to me well. And talks to me gently and in love. But I slam the door pretty quickly when I'm getting yelled at. You know, just ask my in-laws. They'll tell you. Yeah. Sure. Well, it seems like there's an interesting challenge right now. Uh, when I grew up, I was exposed to certain, uh, in this case, religious groups that might have had some problems with legalism. Where mm-hmm. 
um, you had to think a certain way. And if you didn't, you know, somebody was going to talk to you about it or, mm-hmm. uh, you, maybe you weren't in the, uh, you know, people looked at you funny or felt excluded in some way because you asked the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. Now that's an over characterization, over dramatization, right. but I, I've been exposed to that kind of thinking. And it's interesting to me as I've grown up, it's almost as though our culture has gotten that way. You know, the extreme mm-hmm. version of that is a cult, you right. know, you know, if right. you, you have to think the certain way you worship a certain person, if you ask the wrong questions, you know, you're cut off from your family and all mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, very, very authoritarian cults. And there are all sorts of religious and non-religious cults that, that operate that way. It's just mm-hmm. sort of the, the nature of, cultness mm-hmm. um uh you know uh, uh, the simpsons version is no shun shun <laughs> you know <laughs> but um it does seem like strangely our culture in general has gotten that way around certain issues mm-hmm. i mean you can very i mean that's kind of the the idea behind cancel culture that mm-hmm. whole idea that you can just suddenly lose your job or lose your social standing or be silenced or whatever, because you said the wrong thing or you think the wrong thing or mm-hmm. um, whatever it is. So it's just, it's about different issues, but it's essentially the same kind of thing. And people are always trying to sort of top one another and, and show themselves in some cases to be more, I would say righteous in the secular sense, you mm-hmm. know, have mm-hmm. a, a, a superior set of morals or values or, um, social concerns or whatever it is and look down on everybody who doesn't think that way. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's, it's really interesting that that's happening. And um, I do think that when Christians engage in that same type of behavior, um, you know, trying to have the better answer, look down on people who, who mm-hmm. don't understand or don't say things the way they do, they're really honestly just reflecting the world. Yeah. They're not Absolutely. reflecting any of the attitudes in scripture. Right. Um, they're not gently teaching or instructing or, you know, showing love, speaking the truth in love. They're doing the opposite. And that's not, it m- might be associated with cr- some Christians or mm-hmm. religion in general, yeah. but that's, uh, you know, it's very popular to act that way, whether you're Christian or not right, right. now. Right. And I think there's an opportunity for Christians to be the opposite. Yes, um, absolutely. And maybe re-examine, you know, the way that we behave around truth. Right. Yeah. And, and you nailed it there when we're acting like the world in, in many ways. And I've been guilty of that. But Paul says, do not follow the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So then you will know what God's will is. And it's like, we just think that we have to do things the way other people do things. And I just think we'll stand out more if we don't. You know, uh, one of the things that, that made the early church stand out in Acts 2 was how they treated each other. You know, they fed their poor. and They loved their enemies. They did. And, and the people around them were like, there's something different about these guys. I'm going to have to check this out. And it said, it says in there in Acts that the Lord added to their number daily. And it goes on to talk about, you know, they listened to the apostles' teachings. They, they met each other's needs. 
they met, and it says that they met daily at the temple. And so here's this growing group of Christians getting together every day, you know, and how they treated other people was huge. And then later on when, when, and especially people who they were opposing them or were their enemies or even trying to put Mm -hmm. them in jail. Right. Right. And uh, so why don't we focus more on being people who don't act like everybody else and start being people who do. And, and, and kind of that speaks to my third point here is that we need to speak to win the person rather than the argument. And I think if we would focus on that, then we would be able to speak the truth and love more. I think we would be able to gently oppose or gently instruct those who oppose us and alive because Jesus goal was to win the person, not to win the argument, you know, and now he shut his opponents up all the time because he's the word of God and and he could do that. And he always made them think. And yet some of these same people were like, man, nobody's ever talked like you before. You speak with an authority that we've never seen before. Oh, look, here's somebody who, who needs some healing, you know, but she's not an Israelite. So, you know, um, there's somebody who needs to know about me. Yeah, but she's a Samaritan. So, you know, and so Jesus busted out through all of that. I just wish we would become better as a group about that. And when I see examples of people doing that, I just glom onto those kind of people because I think, man, what can I learn from you? Uh, I'm one of the books that's on my reading list this year is, um, Thou shalt not be a jerk. And it's written by the folks from the and uh, campaign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm really looking forward to that. I've, I've put off reading it because I want to wait for a little bit. <laughs> I've got some other things I want to read, but every night when I'm watching reruns of the mentalist, I see that right on my shelf, you know, it's like, Oh, by the way. So uh, I need to read that. So, <laughs> so that's, if we can focus on winning the person and not the argument so much, I think we'll make a lot more headway. Sometimes it seems to me that Christians who are arguing with other Christians about a particular issue are less nice than they are if they're having a conversation and disagreeing with somebody who isn't a Christian. Yeah, I've noticed that at times. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Maybe they feel more freedom to bark at their own tribe. You know, I don't know. I really don't know. But in in any case, it's unchristlike. It's, it's not, uh, not how I believe Jesus would act. Now, I would also say that, um, how Jesus talked with different groups of people was different. Uh, And I tell people, look at, look at who Jesus was harsh with. It was the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, the people who should have known better, who, the people who should have recognized the Messiah right there. And not only did not uh, recognize the Messiah, but were using tradition and the scriptures to lord it over people and to basically build a life for themselves uh, that was far and above what a lot of the other people were living in many cases. Uh, but with somebody who is actually a sinner or repentant or, or just anybody else, Jesus was always gentle and gracious. And he says, no, you're mistaken about that. You know, you know, and, uh, or, Whatever, you know, I just, I'm trying to think of some examples right offhand, but it seems like whenever he spoke with somebody who was not a religious leader or Pharisee, it was always with kindness and grace. And when he spoke to somebody, um, one of the religious leaders who was challenging him, that's when he got harsh. But he did not get harsh with religious leaders who asked him honest questions. 
Nicodemus, for instance. Mm-hmm. He didn't scream at Nicodemus at all. And there was another teacher. You know, what would you say is the greatest commandment in the scripture? And Jesus said, well, it's this. And and in, in another instance, Jesus asked the religious leader that question. You know, and, and Jesus said, boy, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven, buddy. You know, it wasn't like, well, you know, he didn't get all into the guy's face. He said, man, you're on the right track here. You know, so I love that. So, but I, as far as Christians yelling at Christians, I don't know, but it's, it's not Christ-like, I guess. And it's distressing to me. So mm-hmm. uh, that's another way that Christians could be a, I would say a good example or witness mm-hmm. or a bad example or right. witness, you know, mm-hmm. to, on the one hand, I have witnessed some really, really constructive, positive conversations between people who have significant theological differences from mm-hmm. a Christian perspective mm-hmm. and are able to do that in love. That's a great right. example to, you know, people who are outside kind of looking in mm-hmm. on, you know, trying to figure out what this Christianity thing is all about or, mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. you know, are these Christians who they say they are, they live what they say they believe, et cetera. So that's, I mean, I, I have seen that, uh, and it's very, always very encouraging to me when I, when mm-hmm. I see conversations like that, yep. but you know, I've both seen the opposite, right? you know, between, um, different denominational groups oh, yeah. or different. There's huge, there's a large amount of tribalism within yeah. the, the Christian church and it's sad, especially when it becomes political Yeah, to me, that's just horrible. But you know, as an example of the opposite of that was, uh, pastor, Dr. Harold Salem, who, if you're, if you're from this part of the country, you know who Harold Salem is, but he had a worldwide, he was the pastor of first Baptist church here in Aberdeen for like 50 or 55 years. He was the pastor of that church for that long. And he had a, a television ministry which went around the world. And uh, but he was a guy who he was kind of this town's pastor, and everybody loves Pastor Salem, mm-hmm. with rare exceptions. Right after nine eleven, the president called for citywide prayer groups to come together, and Pastor Salem said, "We'll have one at our place." And the uh, the ministerial association said, "Wow, can we be part of that?" And he goes, "Well, absolutely." And so. At the service, there were two very liberal Lutheran pastors in their robes and um, leading some of the scripture things there. That, uh, and I think there was a charismatic guy there as well. And uh, and then I ended up preaching one of the messages that night. And none of those, nobody said, or Pastor Harold didn't say to any of those, "Well, wait a minute, before you can get up on my speed on my pulpit, you need to tick off these theological boxes here, because you know this is a Baptist church." And that's who we are. He he just never got into that. Uh, he hosted the Good Community, uh, Good Friday Community, excuse me, Good Friday Communion services at least once or twice at First Baptist Church. And he har- he hardly ever spoke at them. He said, "No, we'll let you guys." And so, the pastor from First Assembly preached, you know, and and this other guy over here uh, from First United Methodist led the communion part of it, you know, and and uh, he was just a guy who says, "Look, we love Jesus, right?" Okay. That's good enough for me. And I love that. And he was a guy who was a great example to me of, of somebody who can love somebody who he didn't have to see eye to eye with with everything, but saw that person as somebody that Jesus loves and died for. And treat them the same way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So scripture is the guide for how we should respond to and treat others. 
The third thing about scripture is that it's the guide for how we pray about what's going on. Uh, <laughs> one of the uh, times I was filling pulpits, I won't say at what church, <laughs> um, was during an election cycle. And uh, this church was without a pastor for a while, and they were on the search, and, and I filled in for a few weeks there. And it was getting toward a presidential election um, between President Trump and Hillary Clinton. And I preached from Isaiah 40. And one of, and it talks in there about how God sets up princes and tears them down. So my point was, who is really in control? And I'm going to get into that more in just a minute. But one of the things that we need to keep in mind, and I think that passage does a great job of that, is that one of the things that Christians face a lot of times that is evident among Christians is panic. If the wrong person gets elected, you know, this world is just going to go to hell and we're going to lose America if this person is elected. It's just a panic. Well, that's one response. Another is trust that God is sovereign and that his plans will go forward regardless of who is in the White House. And that's where I think Isaiah 40 really rests. He's like, do I really care who's in the White House? No, I'm God. I've got stuff going on here. And nobody in the White House or in the Kremlin or whatever Beijing's Capitol building is, none of that's going to get in my way. In fact, I have put people in place who don't love me in, my, in the history uh, to bring my will about. Darius, for instance, in the book of Daniel, sent, um, was it Darius who sent Nehemiah? Anyways, a pagan king. Darius was one of them. Darius and Cyrus, two specifically pagan kings that God brought into place to get Israel ready to go home. And uh, he made them give him money. He did all sorts of stuff. God put these guys and called them by name years before anybody knew. And none of these guys loved, loved God. But God put these guys in place because he wanted to send his people home and he made it possible through these guys. So my point in these messages was, are you even willing to believe and have enough faith that God might put the, quote, wrong person in office specifically to, because he has something that he wants to accomplish through that person for his glory. And boy, I tell you what, the looks that were given to me at that point were like, you've got to be kidding. Because no, <laughs> that can't be true. Well, it is true. God said so right here. And so there's panic. That's one thing. Secondly, trust that God's going to get his way anyway, because God's will will be done. And then prayer is the third response there. Prayer for somebody or against a certain president or policy. You know, it's easy to pray against somebody. I remember when Bill Clinton was in office, man, Christians were rallied about praying against that guy. I mean, I just remember hearing people all the time, I'm praying against this and I'm praying against that. And I'm, I'm praying he, you know, loses, you know, and I'm praying for this. And I'm like, well, okay. Are you praying that he finds Jesus anytime? See, you know? and I actually was surrounded by people who did do that. Uh -huh. you know, we should. Good for I, you. I do remember. That's awesome. Several conversations about praying for our president, mm -hmm. um, whether we agreed with them or not. And cool. So I, I guess I have somewhat of a positive experience. Good deal. In that regard. Mm -hmm. um, and and I wish and hope that uh, there are more Christians out there like that. Yeah, there should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I don't pray enough for President Biden. And that's just because I'm lazy now because I don't like President Biden. 
and I disagree with much of what he has to say, but my job, according to scripture, is I need to pray for him. And I need to pray that God blesses him, that God will use him to his glory, and that God will help him bring people into his circle that he can listen to that will lead him and, and guide him in, in biblical ways. So there are lots of things to pray for a president. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a question for you yeah. just because of where we're at in history right now with what's going on with mm-hmm. Russia and yeah. the world. How does a Christian pray in a Christian way for or about or against a dictator, somebody like President Putin or right. another world leader that might show up and actually destroy a, right. a country or a neighboring country? Right. Um, I pray that God's will would be done. I mean, it's it's that that's as good as I can get because I'm not a political person. I can't say, well, please, um, please confuse President Putin's advisors so they gives him contradictory advice so he takes the um, he makes the wrong decision so America can win or so that Ukraine can win. I I don't know how to pray that way. So I have to keep praying, God, you're sovereign. You are in control, and you know exactly what's going on. You know what's in the hearts and minds of everybody involved. Lord, all I can do is pray for peace and pray that your will would be done. And even if I don't understand it. And and so give me peace to know that you're still you're still God. You're still in control. And uh, help me pray for peace. I think that's kind of I think we should always pray for peace. I don't think that's a problem. So, but as far as, you know, should we pray for a certain policy to go through or or I just don't know. And there's policies I have asked to uh, like a president um, would push forth the policy, I would hope that that would be defeated. Um, I think I remember when the Hyde Amendment was being brought forth, which um, is still a law today that denies federal funding for abortions. And there's a movement in Congress to get rid of that amendment. And um, I'm praying that that does not go away. You know, I'm praying that that stays. But at the same time, not my will, but yours be done. So I don't think that answered your question directly, um, but um, I don't know how to pray specifically along those things. I think um, um, others can do that, um, but I think, you know, just understanding that that God's will will be done. Ultimately, his will will be done. And um, so I also don't panic about whether these are the end times. Um, I don't know. Maybe they are, but God's will will be done. Jesus said, you know, you got to quit worrying about the end time stuff. He said, you will be my witnesses, you know, because they asked him about it. So are you about to restore uh, Israel to uh, the people? And he's like, it's not for you to know the times and dates that my father has set, but you will be my witnesses, you know, or, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses all over the world. That's your job. So my job is to pray that the Lord's will will be done and to be his witness wherever I can be. So I hope that didn't sound too evasive because I, I don't mean it to be. I'm trying to. Well, know. I don't know that it's an easy question to ask, yeah. answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly don't know how to answer that question. Mm-hmm. You know, I agree that you pray for peace. I do also think that there are times when there's a clear policy or person mm-hmm. that is a legitimate danger to large mm-hmm. numbers of people. Right. And, you know, 
as Americans um, <laughs> or just as as Christians, we have some level of responsibility oh, to try yeah. to, yeah. you know, mitigate that or or hope that that person or that policy fails and doesn't right. succeed if it seems like there's some significant harm that's obviously going to happen. Mm-hmm. No, um, I totally agree with that. I think there yep. are plenty of things where that's not entirely clear, mm-hmm. but there are sometimes where it does seem to be quite clear. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, just think of uh, not that <clears throat> God's will won't be done ultimately right. anyway, but right. if we believe in prayer, we believe prayer changes things and, right. and yes. prayerful people Mm-hmm. change things yes the prayer of a righteous man is effective yeah yeah yep well and i think if you were to go back now and and uh, I, I read a great biography of uh franklin roosevelt not too long ago and you know just what he had to go th- through to, to pass pass you know social security and uh now people just they, they depend on that you know and some people back then thought it was immoral to even have social security the whole concept to them was immoral and now if you tried to pull that away People would consider that immoral, maybe even the same people. Mm. In fact, Ronald Reagan made that one of his things that we will not do away with Social Security, you know, and uh, uh, and he was a, a Franklin Roosevelt Democrat back then and became a Republican and uh, and he became a conservative um, down the road. But so, like, I don't know if, if like, if, if. Whatever version of Social Security were to come, a brand new program were to happen today, you know, how how would I vote for that or how would I pray for that? I have no idea. I really don't. I really don't. So you're asking good questions and we're, you're asking questions that we just need to think about, even if we never come to a really conclusion. But if we're willing to wrestle with that, I think we're much less likely to make blanket statements and, and give out pat answers about stuff. Yeah, I, I guess I'm. I'm trying to ask questions that either I've heard people ask mm-hmm. or it occurs to me that someone might ask mm-hmm. if they hear this sort of discussion. Right. So right. that's right. just why I raise cool. it. And I don't necessarily have the answer and I don't, you know, right. expect you do despite right. your, you know, your uh, advanced age and your, <laughs> you know, wizened face so you may yes. not have the answer to every question. No, I'm just kidding. But the, the, uh, I think you mentioned it earlier about we like to be right. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of Christians need to just be able to be honest and say, you know, I don't know. You know, let me think about that. Let me do some research on that. I don't know that I'll be able to answer that very well. Hmm. You know, um, perhaps some humility would be in order. In yes. That case. Yes. Huh. <laughs> do do dogs go to heaven? <laughs> I'm pretty sure my, spiders my wife don't. is. We just got two new dogs. My wife is really hoping that dogs go to heaven. Yeah. So we're going to be starting a new church. I see. Dogs go to heaven church. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And you have to come with your with your yeah. pup, right? Yeah. Okay. Puppies only. Good. Cats don't go to heaven. We do know that. That That's is in true. Scripture. Because we also know that dogs rule and cats to rule. <laughs> so. Because I saw the documentary that said that. That's true. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All righty. <laughs> no, no, I want to go back to something we talked about before about how, how, just how we can be people of different viewpoints. I was just thinking, um, I'm remembering a story of Charles Coulson. Um, many of you remember Charles Coulson was, uh, worked for President Nixon. He was kind of his hatchet man and, and was caught up in the Watergate scandal and spent seven months in prison. But there's a great story about 
a Democrat senator, and I can't remember the guy's name now. I wish I could. He opposed Nixon on every possible policy thing there was because he was a, this guy was a staunch Democrat, but he was also a born again Bible believing person, Christian. When Colson was sentenced to prison, this guy who had become a friend of Colson's by this time, and Colson had become a Christian by this time, he found this obscure law that would allow proxies to serve somebody else's prison sentence. Really? So this staunch Democrat came to this man who worked for Nixon, his political enemy, and said, you know what? You're a brand new Christian, and I just don't think prison would be good for you. I'm going to offer myself to serve your sentence for you. And true story, I'm not making this up. And uh, Charles Colson turned him down. But here was a guy who loved Charles Colson for who he was as a brother in Christ, in spite of his political affiliation, and said, I'm willing to totally change my life for your sake, because I love you. And so there's people who are total opposite ends of the spectrum politically, who found a love for each other that could only be explained by their mutual love for Jesus. And man, do we need more of that, you know? Oh, I agree. Yeah. So I think that's a great I, note. Yeah. And I, I, sorry, I had to go to back wind that down far. On. No, yeah. that's great. So we're actually, yeah, getting down to the bottom line and getting down to the, the end here. But my whole point in all this is just that we need to be people who don't just believe stuff because it's on the internet and don't pass stuff on over the internet, but we need to be people who have scripture as that filter and that guide so that we can be people who aren't responding like the world does, but respond not like the world does. That we, that we take heed that Romans 12 and do not fall into the pattern of this world. Because with all the voices that are calling out to us, we need to be people who listen to the voice of God above all else, no matter who the other voices are and no matter how well-intentioned they are. And people need to hear the truth of God above the noise of the politicians and the special interest groups and your buddies on Facebook. So, but a question that comes up, well, what if your idea of what God says is different than someone else's? Well, I think God would say this, and I think God would say that, or I think God would would uh, support this, and I think God would support that. Well, first, um, maybe determine if the both of you are getting your positions from actually reading and studying Scripture. Uh, or if it's from your favorite preacher slash teacher slash politician who you want to be right. Uh, and if you can honestly come to your positions, then fine. And if the other person honestly came to their positions, then you need to respect the fact that people who love Jesus and love the scriptures can come to different conclusions about stuff, even important stuff. It's that whole thing about the filters that you brought up so well earlier. And then the question becomes, then what do we do if we find out that something we said was wrong? that we've maybe posted something or we said something we found out later was wrong. Well, we need to do something about that. We need to remove that post. We need to set the record straight and we need to commit to being more diligent. That's something I think that Christians have an opportunity to do a much better job of. Mm -hmm. um, we're all going to be wrong sometimes. Yeah. Right. So if we can be the first to apologize yeah. or the first to retract and just mm -hmm. admit that we were wrong and not let our pride get in the way. Mm -hmm. Again, there's that humility thing again. Yeah. Sorry oh, to bring damn, that man. back up. Yeah. Man. But it's, I I'm mean, the most it's humble hard. guy I know, Josh. I know. <laughs> I, I, I would agree with you, but I don't want you to get a bigger head oh, than you already you. have. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Isn't that ironic? Yeah. That if you think you're humble, you're not. True. <laughs> so anyway. But, but uh, I mean, it's simple. It's not easy. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, just being able and willing to say, hey, I was wrong about that or I was mistaken or that mm-hmm. actually wasn't true. I'm sorry. You know, that is something that needs to happen a lot more in our world in general. You're, you and if, right. if, if uh, people who follow Christ or claim to follow Christ can take that up as a, you know, as a example that they're willing to set by mm-hmm. doing that more quickly and more readily, I think that would be an important step in the right direction. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Well, uh, we're going to wrap it down here. Um, thank you again, Josh, for, uh, all of your your insight on that, I really do appreciate it. But of course, we have one important segment that we have to have as part of every episode, and that is, of course, today's Chuck Norris fact, 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 fact. We need Which to get some just, really cool sound. I mean, it fits in so well with everything we're talking it, about. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. You know, and and uh, I we need to get some really cool sound effects for that stuff. Oh, so here's here's the important fact for the day. Chuck Norris likes to donate blood just never his own so there you go well said thank you yeah you bet and mr norris if you Mm -hmm. ever get a chance to hear us on this we love you so much you're we just respect you and that's in the bible too right isn't that like like first norris 21 3 i am not sure about that that. but uh you know um i wouldn't be surprised it's one of those uh intertestamental books or probably yeah probably yeah intercontinental i don't know (laughs) (laughs) in any case i'm just making up words now that's all right (laughs) in any case have a great night mr norris wherever you're at tonight and uh god bless you guys for listening in uh feel free to comment on these uh programs the you know we just ask that um you comment in ways that show you're an adult and that uh, are gracious and loving. You don't have to agree with everything we say. In fact, we're sure you're not going to agree with everything we say, and that's okay. And feel free to express that. We just ask that you do it in a gracious manner, a way that reflects a biblical understanding of how to uh, disagree, kind of like what we talked about before, even on this episode here. So uh, feel free to comment. Feel free to get hold of us. You'll see some contact information at the bottom of the page. Uh, God bless you. Have a great night. Thank you. Living Beyond Your Memes is a production of Truth Love Media and Discipleship DNA. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get in touch with Brian LaCroix at DiscipleshipDNA.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you on the next episode.